This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. There's no search for silver linings this morning. There's no discussion about, oh, it's okay, minimizing the damage from one game. No, this morning is a full-fledged celebration. The Mariners <laughs> found themselves in a seven-run hole. They were down 7-0, and they systematically chopped their way back into the game. A bases-loaded double by Cal Raleigh that scored three runs. A three-run homer by Kyle Seeger that cut the deficit to two runs. And after it was down to a single run, Paul, the Mariners found themselves bottom of the eighth, Two walks to get the bases loaded and Dylan Moore coming to the plate. What was your feeling as this as this moment came to it? Did you feel this was going to be one of those close but no cigar, ultimately unfulfilling? How what was your feeling as Dylan Moore steps in as a pinch hitter? I legitimately had no idea what was going to unfold, but the at bats that took place before Dylan Moore's grand slam had me at the very least thinking that good things were possible. And my poor neighbors, who once again had to deal with some random person just yelling profanities into the ether uh, of joy after seeing that grand slam. Oh, man. What a moment. Let's hear how Rick Riz called it. Now the left-handers. 1-1 pitch to Dillon. Swing and a well-hit ball. Deep to left field. Grandma, get out the right bread and mustard. Grand salami time. Upper deck left field down the line. Dylan Moore with a grand salami. And the Mariners lead the Astros 11-8 in one of the greatest comebacks I've seen in a long, long time. It was awesome. And a lot of times I'll say after a game, hey, I don't know what it means. I don't know where to lead. No, it was awesome. And that was a statement game. Like that, that was that was a statement win for this team. This they won the Oakland series with three one run victories, two of those coming by wild pitch, and you felt like they were playing. That was a statement victory last night against the division leading Houston Astros. They dug their way. This team that has been seen as light hitting has been seen as oh maybe they're surviving on borrowed time given the run different. They kicked their way back into this game and then ended up winning by three runs on Dylan Moore's two out. Grand Slam. It was awesome. They played well against Houston earlier in the year, but it was early in the year. We were all looking at the Mariners perhaps with raised eyebrows because we weren't sure that they were going to be able to keep this up. And on top of that, that was a Houston team that was dealing with some injuries. So amazingly, they have not played each other over this entire stretch since the first month of the year. And I'm with you. It's a statement game in that I don't look at the A's as a team that's on a different playing field than you. I do think Houston is. And yet, despite how badly that game started, and it could not have started any worse, they hung around and they made it close quickly, too. Yep. I mean, that's it's not like they were doing this gradually with a, with, a, with a stab and a stab and a stab. No, I mean, it was two innings and it was an 8-6 ball game all of a sudden with plenty of time left. And when that happened, Danny... I thought, you know, with the way that these guys have played and with the way that this bullpen has pitched, they've got a really good shot here. I didn't think they would be able to pull it off, but it's just incredible the way that this team 
lingers. I don't know if if you've ever watched the movie Pineapple Express, but there's this scene where (laughs) James Franco expresses dismay about people that are always hanging out at his place. That's what the Mariners are, lingerers. They just hang around, hang around, hang around. The the fact that they won this game, I'll be very interested to see what these two teams look like tonight because that felt like a momentum-changing game. That felt like a moment where you've taken as a heavyweight puncher, you took the other guy's best shot, and he thought he had it in the bag and had established the rightful order of things, and you ended up clobbering him late, and he's not sure where that came from, and he didn't know you had that kind of power, and he's got to completely reevaluate the kind of fight that he's in. And look, it's going to be a good pitching matchup tonight. It's Flexen versus McCullers. But Darren McCacken, who started last night, and I'll give him some credit, like in the search for silver linings, it's like he did a really good job to hang in there for three more innings after that first inning. After he got bombed, you were down six runs before you even took a swing as the Mariners. And, and Darren McCacken, if that's, hey, He's he that's his second big league appearance. It's his first big league start. That's the best hitting team in baseball. That's a team with a World Series under its belt, albeit with an asterisk. It, ah. It's all of those things are that. But Darren McCacken hung in there and gave you a shot to win. And the Mariners to. were able. The Mariners were. You didn't have any choice. Otherwise, he was gonna. It was going to hobble you for the rest of this series. And he hung in there, and he didn't just survive and give you a chance Tuesday and Wednesday. The Mariners kicked their way. They slugged their way back into that game. We heard Rick Rizzo's call. I'd like to compare it to the TV call, which is also very, very good. Here is Aaron Goldsmith and Mike Blowers from Root Sports last night's go-ahead Grand Slam. Bases loaded, two outs. He clobbered that, too. I mean, it's upper deck, left field. If I have to pick between the two, while I always love a good uh, Dave Niehaus callback, I, I think Goldie wins this time. The, the the energy that he exuded right there was very similar to the one, the words that came out of my mouth after Dylan smashed that bad boy. There is also, as they're celebrating in the dugout, Mike Blowers has, it's, it's a fantastic cackle sandwiched around because Moore clobbered that. He put it in the upper deck. I, he absolutely, absolutely blitzed that pitch. And then pointed to the crowd. And you hear you hear Mike Blowers. You hear Mike Blowers. He really enjoyed this. That was crushed. <laughs> That's right. It's a party. It's, le- it's a party. It's less subtle than our favorite thing when we listen to a Seahawks broadcast. Whenever you hear a Dave Wyman chuckle subtle in the background. But that was fantastic, too. That... The, the the fact of having a rallying game or having a game and it's not just it's not just that the Mariners went ahead and then the next inning or the next batter when JP Crawford ends up getting hit by Daly, who is the pitcher who gave up the grand slam and was clearly, if not entirely in his feelings, had been rattled to the point where you've got Scott Service hollering at him, coaching staffs are barking at each other. This was this was a game where the Mariners showed their medal. Like they showed, you're going up against the team that's leading the division. You fall behind seven to zero. You end up storming your way back, and they're the ones that end up throwing the fit. They're the ones that end up like getting so mad that they threaten to take their ball. And oh my god, they're the ones. Like that is, I, I can't remember a comeback that big in a 
combining with a moment that important. The stakes that are here, the trade deadline coming up, you've now won four in a row. You're four and one on a homestand against the two teams that you're chasing in this division, and you have all of the momentum. The homestand is already successful, and you have two games left. And who would have thought that? Honestly, I did not. Now, this game was one of the ones that I thought was going to be up there, but I thought they were going to go three and four or something over this stretch. And I mean, they could turn this into five and two or six and one if things continue to go the way that they're going. And just as you said to begin this, that they do this against a Houston team. You want to talk about a statement. I mean, Houston's a team that's probably looking at the Mariners as something that they can toy with. And after the first inning, you could see why, right? And it's sort of like Rocky uh, fighting up against Apollo Creed in that first fight in Rocky 1, where Apollo's like, okay. And then all of a sudden, you see a little scrap. And the next thing you know, this is this is a team that's actually in a dogfight with the Houston Astros. So, I really, I, I can't be more impressed by the medal, the resolve, all of the things that this team continues to show seemingly every single game, but this one in particular, I mean, this is... How many, how many moments have we had this year, Danny, where we've woken up and we've said, man, this, this might have been the best moment of the year. And, and this one, I feel like it has taken uh, the top seat as far as things go right now. This is one of those games that I'm going to remember in five or ten years. Same. Like this, this is one of those games. That, that comeback and the stakes where they are, not just in terms of the season, but where this rebuild is. When we're talking about do you add, oh, maybe not, it's not really the right time, and all of the different feelings of don't want to get too carried away, this was the go-ahead-and-get-carried-away game. Mm-hmm. This, this, this was the, yeah, it really might be something special. It really might be. This might not be about long play percentages and, oh, we've got to keep them. Like when you win a game like that against a division leader at a moment like this, it kind of lets you, you you can give in to the moment and feel that like, okay, yeah, maybe this is something special. 95, when the Mariners erased that huge deficit to play their way into the playoffs and really the season that saved baseball in Seattle, there's that sort of moment where you stop second guessing or questioning the validity of what you see and you just lean into it. And last night was that moment for me. Last night was that moment to go from, hey, I, 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 McCacken did a good job to salvage it. He probably cost him a shot. That's what I wrote. McCacken's first inning cost them a chance at winning this game. But what he did the next three innings gives them a chance to win on Tuesday and Wednesday. I thought I was being affirmative, positive, and, and I was totally wrong. I was say it. I was. I was raw. It, we're all. We're, it's, a lot of people were wrong last night. Specifically, people in Houston. About thirty-seven of which I have asked what happened last night because I had to go to bed early because I, I am that absolu- guy. Absolutely, unquestionably wrong. It's there you time go. for front front page news. This this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at seven ten, get what you need to know to start your day. Right now, we got a lot of news happening this morning. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been photographed in the parking lot at Lambeau Field. He's wearing flip flops. Uh, some uh, of the what I what I call the the Jake Bowers Terminator shades. Like the big Oakley blade. I don't know if they're Nefs or what they are. Uh, and, and and sporting board shorts looking very NorCal. So he's reporting. That's the big news there. We're going to hear from Nick Rolovich, Cougs coach, later this morning. I think he's scheduled to talk at 920 this morning via Zoom call. So those are two football stories to keep an eye on. The Seahawks players will start reporting to practice today in the update there. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network said the two sides are not close 
was the, was the quote. I don't follow negotiations to tell you, hey, how close or how far apart. You either have a deal or no deal. It's like a light switch or a pregnancy. This it's either on or it's off. It's been very confusing because he's expected to be a very wealthy man afterwards. Yet here's here's here, here's the upshot though. Jamal Adams expected to be at training camp today, and yep. that's the big question that you would have. He's expected to report as scheduled, and we'll see what happens next. As Brock Heward, as Michael Bumpus told us, probably a guy who is going to be just off to the side in shorts. I have no problem with that. I don't know that it's that big of a deal if Adams is out for a couple of practices as they work things out. When you said Aaron Rodgers was in the parking lot, for some reason I started thinking of Jay Cutler. Just Aaron Rodgers just sitting up against a car like he's James Dean. Oh, that'd Dean, be great. Smoking a cigarette. Ripping heaters. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I could see him doing that. I don't feel like there's that much of a difference between, the more I think about it, old Jay and Aaron Rodgers, except for Jay's cooler. Oh, Jay. Aaron's won a ton, right? Like, Jay was the guy that had every physical gift, and you just wondered what would happen if he actually cared a little more. Yeah, but he was so cool because he didn't care. (laughs) The Front Page. Even better news for the Mariners. Some reinforcements appear to be right around the corner. Jake Fraley is likely to begin a rehab assignment tonight in Tacoma. Justice Sheffield is throwing again. We're still waiting to see as Justin Dunn continues to progress back from his injury. And Hector Santiago back tonight in the bullpen after being unfairly imprisoned by baseball by Rob Manfred in their witch hunt against somebody that they could use as a scapegoat to blame for all of the sticky balls that have been thrown over the course of this year. You think about Hector Santiago, so he misses 10 games. The Mariners survived that. They did. And it was a tough... I mean, that's not the ideal stretch, and you had some games where they had to go to their bullpen. Logan Gilbert throws, what, 41 pitches in an inning, so all of a sudden he's out of there. They taxed that bullpen. They've survived it. They weathered the storm. Good for them. Also saw Baseball America's prospects mm-hmm. ratings. So Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez are still Stayed in the top the same. five. Yes. And is it Marte? Is Marte like 11th? He's now? moved up to 10th from 16th. And George Kirby vaulted from 79th to 14th. You've now got four of the top 15 prospects in baseball are considered Mariners. Are, 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 are Four of the top 15 ranked prospects in baseball, according to Baseball America, are Mariners. Wow. Sounds pretty, pretty, pretty good. That is front page news. Let's get inside with the professor for our morning commute. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything. NFL, NFL from the professor John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. All right, Professor. Aaron Rodgers is back. So, so much for all the drama this offseason. But it does sound like there are some concessions that Aaron wanted from Green Bay that they are going to give him. Yeah, I mean, first, it uh, looks like this is his last hurrah in Green Bay. You know, uh, we don't know the full details because they're, I think, still finalizing the contract, but we know that, you know, they wiped out, they put a voidable year in 2013 with no franchise tag. It looks like they're going to put some provision in there that uh, they'll trade him or find him a way to get to another team next year. Uh, they want, uh, he wants, and it looks like they'll try to get, uh, Randall Cobb at wide receiver. I mean, you saw the, yeah. I mean, it's like you saw the <laughs> Houston, Houston made the trade for a wide receiver, Anthony Miller, right? Anthony Miller. And so it's like, okay, so now for a fifth round pick, you know, Cobb, 
probably comes back to Green Bay. So he gets the concessions, and I guess you know the good news for Green Bay is that they're still going to be you know, a Super Bowl contender this year, but then next year it looks bad. I can't imagine that Devontae Adams is going to sign a long-term deal knowing that uh, Rodgers is going to go next year. I mean, they have resumed negotiations after stopping on Friday, but you know they're not. I can I can see that that's still not going to work out. We know that some of the other players on the team, uh, Zadavia Smith, isn't happy with his contract. I mean, it's it's a mess in Green Bay, but it's a mess right now that has Aaron Rodgers and still a team that has a chance to win 12, 13 games. John, there there was some reports yesterday, and it was a discussion. It sounded like Green Bay might be cutting off all of the years remaining on his contract twenty two. 2022 and 2023 but I can't imagine that's the case because that would mean he'd leave for no compensation there whatever whatever modification they come for his contract they're ex- mm-hmm. they're, they're certainly going to be able to trade him right oh you would think so I mean I mean I, let's put it this way they were stupid to take Jordan Love. yes okay and so it's like maybe they're going to be stupid enough not to get draft choice compensation for Rodgers but whatever it's going to be you know they go into a rebuilding mode next year yeah you know, David Bakhtiari, the left tackle, his contract is up. Uh, Preston Smith's not probably not going to be there because they'll cut him. Uh, Smith, Zadavian Smith isn't happy with his deal. I mean, they've got so many issues, but they certainly need some draft choices to kind of fill the void for what they're going to lose uh, this offseason. And so it's like, uh, you know, you'd have to think that they just put a provision in there saying, okay, we'll trade you. And knowing that the, he has a no-trade clause, I mean, he can kind of pick and choose which team's he, he wants to go with, and, you know, you figure Denver's going to be in the mix, and we'll see about Philadelphia, <coughs> we'll see about New Orleans, we'll see about any of the other teams, we'll see even if the uh, Las Vegas Raiders are going to be interested. But in the end, it looks like this will be Rodgers' last year. It's just how they you know, get that contract structured. The one thing about this, the Green Bay got too smart for its own good and started thinking, we'll do with Aaron Rodgers what we did with Brett Favre. The critical difference was... Rodgers fell to them in the draft, and mm-hmm. they traded up for Jordan Love, and it eliminated any ability for them to say, hey, we're not actively trying to replace you, because he's like, what are you talking about? You traded up for the quarterback, where with Favre, they could at least say, look, that guy is the, we had him evaluated as the best player in the draft, and he was there in the 20s. That, that, that's why we took him. We were not looking for him. Green Bay couldn't do that this time, because they traded up for him. Yeah, and of course, I mean, I, I'm... I'm into this story because again I still remember the night before the draft I called up Ted Thompson the general manager and he called me back and I said I know you probably know this but if uh you know Aaron Rodgers who you know was arguably who was the best quarterback in that draft and obviously it certainly was Aaron Rodgers over Alex Smith but San Francisco took Alex Smith I said if Aaron Rodgers gets past Washington at nine he's coming down to you and at the, in the in the 20s and, you know, he, he held a meeting after that, and I know that uh, he probably knew it, but I don't know if he, he wanted to uh, admit that he, he, he knew it. But in the end, it's like, uh, how can you pass up Aaron Rodgers in, like, the 23rd, 24th pick in the draft? I mean, here comes a Hall of Fame quarterback who is rated at the top of the draft, and you get him there. How can you pass that up? And so, uh, you know, even though... Brett wasn't happy about it, and you have something fault. You you have the biggest gift in football history fall to you. How can you pass that up? Very interesting to see him fall the way that he did, and of course, a lot of success in Green Bay since then. 
John, to another quarterback, and we, we know that Deshaun Watson has at the very least reported to camp for the Houston Texans, and we're finding out the details about what Houston's looking for in some sort of trade. They want a combination of five high draft picks and starting caliber players for Watson. Lots of things seem to be, I guess, being put underneath the rug when it comes to a Watson trade. He does have a no-trade clause, so I don't know if it's even necessarily as easy as that. And also, Houston's demands are apparently what has been holding this trade up. Teams don't want to overpay for a quarterback who's facing 22 pending lawsuits uh, with allegations of sexual assault. So I'm curious as to where he would still use his no-trade clause for and if there's anybody out there that would be willing to give that kind of a draft, or excuse me, that kind of a haul to Houston to get him. Yeah, I mean, the two <laughs> two teams, and maybe a third being New Orleans, which I don't know if they have the cap room to be able to fit in his contract. But, you know, the two teams that I think are still involved are Denver and the Philadelphia Eagles, with the Eagles being the one team that can really do it. Because, you know, the one thing you cannot do in the National Football League is trade out three years of first-round picks. You can only trade out two. All right, so like you you can't go past if you're in 2021 past 2023, and so now what you can see is that uh, Philadelphia. I mean, they got the extra first round pick with the three way trade with the Miami Dolphins and San Francisco 49ers, and they also get the potential of a first-round pick if Carson Wentz has a good year in Indianapolis. And so they have the ability to do it because you know they have two potential number-one picks next year. So they they can do it, and they want to do it. And so uh, you know, and now we find out, as much as they were lying about the ideas, like, oh, we're not going to trade uh, him. Well, we, we can trade him, and we've been talking trade, and apparently have been tra- talking trade before the draft. And, you know, I think that now most people start to think in the case of Watson that because, you know, he's not going to have a deposition until next February and the case, the 22 cases aren't going to be heard until uh, May to July of next year that, uh, you know, without having any kind of thing coming out of the court system that uh, maybe he's not going to get the commissioner exemplist this year, and so that would happen more next year than this year. So I think that he's definitely in play with, I think, Philadelphia being a leading candidate. Professor, we always appreciate the updates. We're going to have a lot tomorrow when training camp opens for real. Seahawks players reporting today. First practice scheduled for tomorrow. We're glad to have you aboard, John. We'll talk to you then. Okay, sounds good. That is the professor, John Clayton. Well, started with a seven-run hole. It included with a scintillating comeback, and then the Mariners were red-hot angry. We'll explain why they had every right to be next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. And the pitch on the way to Raleigh. Swing and a line drive into the gap. Right center field, extra bases. Crawford's going to score. Seager running third, being waved in by Manny. Now here comes France running third, being waved in by Manny. France will score. Cal Raleigh into second base with a bases clearing. Three-run double. And it's now the Astros seven and the Mariners three. And so began the dramatic Mariners comeback in last night's improbable 11-8 victory over Houston. We are still, still feeling it this morning. And by the way, guys, uh, a side note before we dive into our next topic. I got some uh, 
info from the from the from the M's, and uh, there's going to be ten dollar tickets for tonight's game. So it's Tuesday. What else you got to do? How about boo some Astros? That might be fun. We talked about the importance of this win. I don't want to undersell the importance of this happening at home in a, in a, in a high profile moment like this. They had their biggest crowd of the season on Saturday night against the A's. There, there are times when you have an opportunity to capture a city. And, and, I, and the Mariners, this isn't the end of that window, but we're at the beginning. And you can feel the kind of enthusiasm start to build around this team that is more than... Winning will always draw fans. But it's only special teams that create a bond with the city. The 95 Mariners did that. The 2012, 2013, 2014 Seahawks did that. What we call the Legion of Boom Seahawks. Beast mode. And it's too early to say, like, there's a chance that this team does that. There's a chance that this team with this group of young players, you're starting to see signs of that. And last night was one of those first games where you're like, it's a pinch me, I can't believe they won game with this group. With this group of really likable, it's a really fun style of baseball that they strike out a million times. But it's a really fun, and it's a tough team. They're tough as nails, man. They are a lot of fun to root for. The scrappiness, the lingering, whatever you want to call it that they do is, is something else. And also, Daddy, this was, this was an interesting one for me. I, I found myself, for the first time, hating my ex. We had an amicable split. But this moment, after you hit the Grand Slam by Dylan Moore, Houston looks shocked. You see their faces. They're all wondering what the heck just happened. But then the very next at-bat, where J.P. Crawford's up against some scrub named Brooks Raley. I don't know who he is. His ERA is like 48, give or take. And he throws a couple of times inside on J.P., and then he eventually plunks him. And it, it just felt so salty. And... The back and forth that we saw afterwards, the fire, the gusto coming out of the Mariners dugout where it looked like a bunch of guys who were very close to perhaps walking out the dugout into the Astros dugout. It was it was a moment that I'm going to remember for quite some time. And this is what the stare down between both dugouts sounded like, started by Scott Service, who was pretty ticked off about that move by Rayleigh. And now the coaching staffs are barking at one another. Oh, Scott is hot. He's wearing them all out. Extending. Yeah, you should. What Rayleigh did is he got in his feelings. He threw inside for the first pitch to, to J.P. Crawford. Then Crawford took a big cut at a breaking ball. And, and I don't know if Rayleigh decided he looked too comfortable. He threw inside the next two pitches, like brushed him back, like clearly b- busting him to get him off the plate. And whether or not he was mad because he didn't think JP backed up sufficiently or whatever he did, he then uncorked it inside. I don't know if he meant to hit him. He certainly wasn't trying to avoid hitting him. Maldonado was setting up outside. It was it was a chump move, it total chump move. I'm glad he got ejected. Also, I'll say this, Carlos Correa, after Scott Service was yelling at him, Carlos Correa is trying to stare down Service. Carlos Correa is a chump who I don't want any part of. I don't want the Mariners to ever pay for him. I've seen enough from him to see. The bully did not like getting punched in the mouth. And the bully, when they got punched in the mouth last night, started turning to cheap shots 
and and Snide sort of like it was it was lame. I'm proud of the way the Mariners played. I I loved the fact that Scott Service got mad at him. What the, how the Astros responded was just as petty as their fans. You come after J.P. Crawford, you're dead to me. So for those who know my backstory, take that. Uh, I I I look at this moment, Danny, too, with that same kind of just vitriol and. You know, there was something else, too, and it was really delectable. I mean, the amount of dismissive and arrogant and cocky people on the mean internet streets talking about the way that the Astros took that lead, to see them all have to eat it, oh, my God, it was great. It was great. And, I, again, I, I stayed up too late last night, partly for show prep, but more so, Danny, because I was just being a giant troll and getting under the skin of so many of my friends who were Astros fans. Yeah. <laughs> I get the Astros have been a league-wide punching bag. There's now been books written on what big, giant cheaters they are, and, and an achievement that they felt really good about has been tarnished, or they've listened to people tell them how it's tarnished. They've turned into a really insufferable group of people, though. Yeah, And I don't know if it's... They're seeking out people that are criticizing the Astros and injecting themselves into those conversations by insulting the people that are saying it and their teams. It's pathetic. As someone who's rooted for a couple of teams that have been accused of cheating, neither of those fan bases understand how they're supposed to handle it. You're supposed to say run scoreboard. With it. Yeah. yeah. You're supposed to say scoreboard. And, you're and, supposed to say we won and you can't change that. You're not supposed to exactly. go out and yell in the, hey, the Red Sox and the Yankees cheated too. You're not supposed to go out and say, well, when are the last time the Mariners have, have been to the playoffs? Yeah, I'm of very aware of the postseason drought, like I, you're not you're not informing me of uh, of any news. And Carlos Correa specifically, Carlos Correa is a great player. He's a great player, but he reacted to Cody Bellinger with smarm and condescension, and he showed condescension to Scott Service last night. He has no room to be condescending to anyone. Nope, at all, ever. He was hip deep in that mess of sign stealing, and he sh- he should wear that. He should wear it instead of being the. This sort of, oh, it's too bad. I can't believe he's doing that. Your pitcher threw a fit because he gave up a grand slam in a regular season game. You guys should be embarrassed about yourselves. And instead, you're the bully that got punched in the mouth and resorted to cheap shots. He got ejected, Brooks really did. And Scott Service had this to say about said ejection after the game. You can't speak to you know what's going on in, in the pitcher's mind, whatever, but... Certainly, with the all the emotion in that game and, and how uh, you know we were celebrating and, and whatnot, um, you know you can take it for whatever it's worth. I, I thought, yeah, you, know, you can't let pitches get away like that and, and hit somebody after you give up a grand slam. But again, was it on purpose? I don't know, but things happen in the game. Very emotional game, and I'm glad he got ejected. <laughs> that last part's great. And look, to his credit, J.P. Crawford said he didn't think that he was being thrown at there. He feels like the Astros specifically tried to throw him inside, and he's a really good sport about it because I don't know that that was necessarily the case. That's the right way to handle it if you're a player. There's In that circumstance, you have to be furious at the pitcher, and you should be furious at the pitcher. He just gave up a go-ahead grand slam. He just surrendered the lead, and then he hits the next batter after busting yeah. him inside. No, no, get out of here with that. Like that's if if you're if you're the Astros, you have to be better because of all the doubts that people had. And last night you were worse. It was a one run game. It turned to a three run game. You can't call it anything other than that. Danny and Gallant, seven ten, ESPN Seattle. How about those Mariners? Eleven to eight. They take down the Houston Astros last night in dramatic fashion. We are reveling in the glory of that all day long. By the way, don't forget 
There are $10 Mariner tickets available for tonight's game against the Astros. So you got nothing to do on a Tuesday and you want to make some noise and boo. Come on out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Up next, Danny's going to explain why bargaining worked for him last night. I'm very curious to hear this explanation. Don't go anywhere at 710 ESPN Seattle. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. And the one-two on the way to Seager. Swing and a well-hit ball. Deep to right field and goodbye baseball halfway up into the lower deck. Holy smokes, that was shot out of a cannon. Kyle Seager with his 19th home run of the season. And the Mariners keep fighting back. They keep fighting back, and they're right back in the ball game. It's now the Astros 8 and the Mariners 6, and Kyle jumped on an 0-2 pitch from Luis Garcia. What a comeback. That cut it to 2. They trimmed it down to a single run, and then Dylan Moore in the bottom of the 8th with two outs hit a grand slam that put the Mariners ahead. They end up winning 11-8 to in a comeback that certainly is going to it is a defining moment for this team in this season. Coming when it did, against whom it did, the bully in the division, the division-leading Astros. Here, the week of the trade deadline, when the Mariners have to make a decision about how much they're going to put into this season, how much they're going to add to this year, all of those different factors. Yeah. I'm a bargainer. A bargainer. I, bargain, I, I bargain, Paul. How does this work? Internally. There's kind of a... Hey, if you do this for me, I'll never do this again. Just just one time. Just one time. Now, I will admit that my bargaining has declined in the four years since I stopped drinking. The bargaining has declined because I no longer have to barter about hangovers or illness caused by an overindulgence. But the bargaining remains. And this past week has been an epic run for my bargaining of feeling like, okay, Power above. I have suffered as all of Seattle has suffered through 20 years of drought and disappointment. The first team to lose 100 games with a $100 million payroll. We watched it. We've been through all kinds of dashed hopes. One time. Just one time let this come through where a team succeeds in a way that doesn't make sense. Let, suspend my disbelief over run differential and be patient and just just have this be lightning in a bottle because there's a lot of different things from this team's success in one-run games to its run differential that point to the fact that the playoffs might be a pipe dream this year, that that might not be. And I'm like, one time, just let something that doesn't make sense happen in our favor. Let something that doesn't make sense happen in our favor. And last night was yet another one. Uh, I have a cutoff. On social media, I, I, I don't, I don't tweet at all after one a.m. Like it's, it's programmed into my phone. It's smart by you, man, because I stayed up too long last night now, on social media. So, so watching it, and and there's there's part of the reason that there's there's a, there's a reason that I'm doing that, but that happens. I'm by myself, and that game happens. That ending happens. That grand slam happens. And there's just this pure sort of joy of like, yes, my bargaining has been heard. Yes, the the universe is breaking in my favor, in our favor. Just this once, it doesn't make sense and it's glorious. I'm intrigued that you've gotten to that stage because also, I mean, that's the third step 
in the the stages of gr- of grief, correct? Uh, the, the bargaining, the bargaining stage, right? It's anger and bargaining. I think is number three. Like it's a tie between the two, and after a while, too, especially with this team. After all the bargaining, I would feel like, what's the point of bargaining anymore, right? Like, every time I'm bargaining, I'm getting ripped off. Sports fandom is not rational. No. It's it's something you feel. It's something you cling to. And the bargaining becomes, the more disappointment you've experienced, the more that you feel that you're entitled to something to break your way. And it allows you to feel like, okay, I've seen it in instances. I've I've had heartbreak and experienced heartbreak with this team in cases where you would feel that you're relatively certain that you have a good shot at success. Having the rug... I want the opposite of the rug yanked out from under you. I want the found money. I want the bank error in your favor. I want it just one time for this to work in a way that doesn't make sense in Seattle's favor. And I feel like over this past week, you win two games against the A's on wild pitches. You keep trying. What, you score four runs with two outs in the third inning against Cole Irvin, who'd been talking down to your entire team? You dig out of a seven-run hole against the Houston Astros? It's happening. Like this, yes, the the gods are in our, the, the gods are smiling in our favor. The gods in baseball have recognized our suffering and giving us a reprieve and allowing us something that does not entirely make sense. Hasn't the bargaining been paying off for maybe the last year and a half? And I, I say from this perspective, last year that team was very void of talent outside of Kyle Lewis, and yet they were respectable. This year, they've taken it to another step, and we're still waiting on some of the guys who are the future of this team. The entirety of this season, you know, you mentioned the run differential a little bit earlier, the injuries that the starting pitching has had on top of that. I think your bargaining has been paying off all year, and now it's just getting to another degree. And, you know, some of the things you laid out, this is why those people that jump around from team to team will never quite understand how awesome it feels to finally see a team turn the corner when they actually do because it's all of that anguish and 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 dream dashing that you tolerate as best you can along the way that gets you to here and that they keep doing this it's no longer something where i think you can say it's it's flukish at least just this team's ability to play clutch and I I will after last night I will say there is something going on I cannot put my finger on it but it is happening whatever it is I don't believe in clutch I don't believe that there are teams that get better when the stakes get higher it appears this team is clutch I don't believe that you have a hitter that hits 230 until he gets into a situation where there's runners in scoring position and all of a sudden he's a 400 hitter but that kind of describes what Kyle Seeker's doing this year with two outs and runners in scoring position, he's hitting like 400. I, I don't believe in clutch, but I'm absolutely in favor of it. I, I don't think it's a real and sustainable thing, but I'm absolutely in favor of it continuing to propel the Seattle Mariners because it appears this team is clutch. Scott Service, after the game, had a lot of interesting things to say, and he talked about how this win in particular was very special, and I think it speaks to a lot of what we were just talking about. 
you know, we, we, you go through seasons and you have big wing wins and come from behind wins. And, and I go back a few years ago, we were down, I don't know, 10 runs to the Padres that one night. We came back, but this is special. You're on, you're at home. Uh, you're in a situation where we're at and kind of in the standings fighting for something against a really, you know, uh, the first place team. So this one's pretty darn special. I do remember that game against San Diego because they had like 11 straight hits, 12 straight hits. It was a ridiculous number of consecutive hits they had. And that was kind of a blip, like a highlight in a great season. This is happening in the middle of a homestand against the two teams you're chasing in the division on the eve of the trade deadline. Oh, yeah, and you just had your biggest crowd of the entire season on Saturday, and you've got $10 tickets still available for tonight in Game 2 of this series. Let's go. Let's go. It's Danny and Gallant. We got Brock Hewer joining us next for Blue 42.